somewhere in a remote, uncharted region of a planet called Earth. Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. What do you know of the Great War? Meaning the one with them prophets and all? No. The one before. This place sets a warning to my heart. As if the ghosts of the damned live within the very rock itself. Well, welcome to Tales from the Silent Planet. I am your host, Daniel, and I am here joined by the author of The Tomb and the Revenant, the book that we just saw a trailer for, uh, Herman P. Hunter. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself to us, Mr. Herman P. Hunter? I'm Herman P. Hunter. Uh, some of you know me as Jeff Potts, which is probably a subject we'll discuss later. Um, I am the author of The Revenant and the Tomb, and uh, that's it. That's it. All right. Well, I had the pleasure of reading The Revenant and the Tomb uh, over the course of uh, the last couple of weeks. I was going to read it in one week, which would have been possible, uh, except I, uh, I got distracted. Not because the book wasn't quality, though, but because I had a bunch of nonsense going on. Okay. Uh, so the tomb the revenant and the tomb see i keep i did that earlier i typed it wrong i put the tomb and the revenant now it's the revenant and the tomb yes uh, it is a fantasy book and it is it is pretty good thank uh, you yeah so some of the things i noticed about this well why don't you you know what first since they haven't read it and i have mm-hmm. why don't you give a little spiel about what this first book is about well, this first book is actually a bit of a what I would call a sampler of my uh, not only of my writing and um, the types of stories that I want to engage in, but uh, also uh, some of the back some of the backstory and lore of other books that I already have kind of ready and waiting to go, um, and it discusses the we're not giving anything away. Discusses a tomb out in a very sort of um, dark and dangerous place known as the Aranak, um, where something is hidden and has been buried uh, for a while. And uh, the adventurers are going there to see if what's buried is stayed buried. Right. Yeah, the the plot of it, you know, as it starts out, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the beginning of sort of like a, a Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. game. not in a bad way, but yeah, uh, somebody getting hired in a, in a tavern. And uh, that uh, is that that was that on purpose? There? That was that was on purpose. I was like, I was like trying to figure out a way to start. And it's like, you know, every in Dungeons and Dragons, everything starts in a tavern. So right. okay, yeah. I mean, but, you know, where else are you going to hire somebody if not in a in a public setting? And especially in the area he was in, it's kind of a village. So you're not going to like 
hire somebody in a barn. You're going to go right. to where they do business. You know, I, so. I guess the only other alternative that people do is if there's some sort of like adventurers guild that they can hire. Or something. Yeah, I, I don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that that was cool. So did you did you play Dungeons and Dragons earlier in your life, yeah. or do you still play? Yeah, there? I still kind of play it. I play uh, Dungeons uh, Dungeons and Dragons online. It's an MMO. It's been around for a long time. Same company does Lord of the Rings online. Okay. So, and that yeah, I played. I used. It was a, wasn't it like the the Eberron uh, campaign yeah. setting or something? Yes. Yeah, I played that back in the day. Uh, yeah. So, what uh, if anything do you think playing Dungeons and Dragons did to your ability to write? Do you think it helped it? Do you think it hurt it? Um, well, it, it basically opened the door to my imagination. And when I was younger, that really wasn't a good thing <laughs> now now that i'm older and a lot of that stuff has sort of stuck with me it's given me like this sort of perspective on uh on on what what is compelling i mean it's it's one of those things where you get to literally escape the world that you're in and go somewhere else where it's it's brand it's sort of new and undiscovered and especially with writing you can kind of take bits and pieces and throw that into your story to make it interesting. One of the things people, you know, one of the questions that people often ask is, why do you write fantasy? And it's like, if fantasy is one of the few uh, genres out there where you can literally start with a blank slate and, and just build a world and fill it with stuff and write anything you want to without the constraints of, either the, the world that we live in or technology like in science fiction and fantasy or even, you know, what's expected. So. Right. Well, so obviously that playing those games, I think at least for yeah. me, opens up your, your mind into engaging in story, developing characters, yeah. all of those things. What are some of the other inspirations that you would say, either inspired you to write this particular story or just in general growing up, uh, it doesn't have to just be fantasy, but what are some of the things that you think has sort of molded you and pushed you in this direction? Uh, Tolkien was one. Uh, Tolkien actually, you, you can tell by the writing, he has a huge influence on my writing and my style and the fact that he's um, one of the, you know, he's, he's one of those classicists that, that Doug Tenable likes to talk about. Um, that they believe sort of in mythology and they were able to square that with, you know, um, their understanding of the world. Um, C.S. Lewis was another one. Uh, you know, H.P. Wells, Jules Verne, all of that old stuff that it was, it was something where they were writing about things that were completely new or different or alien or just completely somewhere not based in our world. So stuff like that. And the Bible also has a huge influence on my writing. As a matter of fact, it, but I, I've come to define my stuff as Christian fantasy. Okay. So, so what, what do you think distinguishes fantasy from, you know, what would make something specifically Christian fantasy? Um, well, I mean, they're, I use the term Christian fantasy for lack of a better term. 
Um, it's, it rolls off the tongue, I think, a little bit better than Judeo-Christian fantasy or, or you know, Christian-inspired fantasy. Um, but I, I do include, um, you know, bits and pieces from the Bible, uh, sort of weave and integrate them into the story. For example, Hel Cedric is a, he's basically, he's a holy warrior and he wields a flaming sword. The flaming sword was inspired by the uh, sword, the angel that guards the gates of Eden, okay. uh, uses to protect and guard the the, the Garden of Eden. Um, and, and of course, you know, the, the holy warriors was well-known trope from the Middle Ages. So little things like that. And he wears a, a vest or excuse me, he wears a jacket, um, and I, the name is escaping me right now, but it has uh, it has golden script on it, and the golden script is is a lettering that nobody knows, but it's a divine it's a divine script, and you know he talks about in the book he talks about that the the word is both the sword and the shield, which is actually pulled from both Old and New Testament. Um, uh, like Psalms and uh, I think the Gospels sort of brought together and merged into one. So I'm not actually directly quoting stuff from the Bible, but I do take bits and pieces and elements and, and kind of merge them in. And I think that the Bible itself gives the, gives the, the points and the, the voice of my story and the, the, the things I'm trying to say a little bit of gravitas. As opposed to, you know, grim dark where everybody just kills everybody else and there's just nothing but politics. Yeah. The uh the grim dark, I'm not not a huge fan of it. I read yeah, no. I read the the first law trilogy by mm -hmm. uh, Joe Abercrombie. And yeah. it, there's this in most books, there's like this little bit of hope that like, you know, that everything will turn out okay. And in those, even in those, you're like okay, I'm rooting for these characters. I want them to win. And then, of course, uh, the ending is not satisfactory if yes. you want anything remotely uh, positive. Yeah. But my, minor, well, the thing is, though, is that my the stories that I write, not all the characters have a happy ending. And it, in that way, it's a little bit more grounded and realistic. So, uh, and as a matter of fact, that's been what a few of the uh, people who've reviewed it have mentioned that you know it's a much grittier form um and a much more realistic and and nothing is sort of like glossed over so which i'm i'm glad that somebody caught that i, I kind of like in that way i kind of like living in the real world where you know there things don't always go as everybody hopes but that gives you stuff to talk about, like faith and hope and all that other right. stuff. So do you think that those kind of themes like that, that helps to define something as, as Christian fantasy as opposed to just being fantasy? Well, I mean, it gives it a, a grounding. And plus the, the, the ever-present, what I would call religion, even though it isn't, but the ever-present faith that's highlighted is known as the belief in the God of the West. Which of course is you know relates to sort of the the, the uh, Almighty God from mm -hmm. Judaism and Christianity, and he's called the All Father in the books, which is you know of course it's Norse, but I've sort of included that as as part of the language. Okay. Now you mentioned uh, Tolkien, and there was something about the writing that I thought that kind of uh, of the book that 
sort of reminded me of fantasy in, in a good way from yeah. a fantasy from back in that kind of period, that sort of pre 1980s kind of fantasy. Like once yeah. people that read Tolkien started writing, it sort of reminded me of, of obviously Tolkien and Lewis, but also people like George MacDonald or some of these writers that maybe they weren't writing the epic fantasy in a Tolkien sense, but uh, more uh, fairies and, Mm-hmm. And sort of a, a low magic or low fantasy. Yeah. Uh, are those, you think, inspirations or was that on purpose to write in that way? Or? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm kind of a believer in low magic. Uh, I believe that the less you know about magic and the more arcane it is, uh, the more interesting it is. The thing about writing is um, you can tell the reader too much. And at that point, when you start systematizing it and you start, you know, you start defining it down to, uh, you know, lowest level of minutia, um, it, it stops becoming something that you think about or something that seems odd or strange, you know, and, and keeps your attention. Hmm. So I kind of like I limit the I limit the, the magic in what I do. And, I, and it, it also plays another big part which is something that comes up in the next book that I'm working on and is kind of a subject in the next book, which I won't, you can probably get into that later. Right. Um, but the, the other thing is also the use of language. Um, I'm, you've, you've seen me and you've seen, you know, some of the stuff I write in normal. Um, I, I'm, you wouldn't say that my language is real flowery and it's according to me speaking, it isn't real flowery, but I feel that if you're going to have fantasy, uh, you might as well amp up the language, and people are actually really are responding to that really well. They, I've had a lot of compliments on it, so that's good. Do you think that? Why do you have any guesses as to why that is? Why people would sort of respond well to that kind of a prose as opposed to something that? I mean, I'd, is uh, I, I think I, I don't I don't I'm not that much of a reader. Mm. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that a lot of a lot of uh, literature coming out nowadays is kind of dumbed down, and of course, it, it, when it, it it may be okay in like you know the big thing is YA, they mm-hmm. sort of tone down the language in YA, and that has a ripple effect out through other genres, and it probably has a ripple effect into fantasy because, you know, fantasy is also known for Harry Potter and all that. So people have started writing like that, and I I went the other way. You know, when everybody's doing it one way, I, I go the other way. Now, this isn't to demean other authors or anything. It's just that, you know, if you've had steak every night or let's say chicken every night this steak becomes real tasty yeah you know comes real desirable it's there's a hypothetically there's a market out there for different types yeah. of books and i think one of the, the things that i've noticed is that the books that i've read that have been from independent publishers published self-publishing um mm-hmm that have really stood out to me and kept me engaged did have something different about them. They weren't just the same thing. And none of them, well, I'll take that back. Jonathan Rinshaw's uh, book, uh, Dawn of Wonder. I don't know if you've read that one. Uh, It's uh, that one I I think has some pretty decent prose, but otherwise 
the books that I've read, they haven't been really, they've been kind of straightforward, just getting the, the point across and they had to do the enjoyment had to do with more of the, uh, the fun and creativity of it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the other thing. I always feel that, you know, when you're, when you're writing a story, not only should the story be fun, but the language itself should be fun. I mean, it should be interesting to read these different things and, you know, to kind of change the, that the tempo or the, um, you know, the, let's say the tempo of, of the sentences and uh, mix up the words so that you're not repeating yourself and things like that. I really enjoy that. I think that that, that adds a little bit of flavor to it. And then when you get into audiobooks, I mean, it just, you, you got the right audiobook, audiobook narrator. It just sounds wonderful. Right. That, it's kind of crazy how there, there'll be books that I've read and I've absolutely loved, uh, you know, some of my favorite books that I've actually read paperback or hardback mm-hmm. format. And then I try to listen to the, uh, the audiobook and I can't listen to it. The, yeah. the reader just doesn't connect or the, the way that they, the style just doesn't work. And uh, the guy that you had read it, Steve Fortune, I think. Oh yeah. Uh, he did a really good job. I thought he brought oh, yeah. out the best, uh, the best in the book. I looked back through some of it after having listened to it. I listened uh, to the audio book mm. and I, as I was reading back through it, I sort of heard the, the gruffness of his, of his voice oh, with yeah. some of the characters and stuff. So it was interesting how that, uh, that can work when, when you have the right. The right it, it, it was funny because when I, we decided to do the audio book after I'd already gotten the ebook and the paperback out. And I approached my wife saying, you know, I, I really want to do an audio book because I think that's where my market is going to be because I kind of write for men, you know, and mm-hmm. men tend to be, men tend to like, I think, I, I believe I'm speculating, tend to listen to audiobooks more than they do read actual books, especially if they're, you know, they're constantly working or doing right. something. And so she was like, yeah, I think we should. So we, we set a budget and we, I, I picked a service to do it. And um, one of the service required you to uh, select, I think it's like up to six different people to do an audition. And so I went down through them and most of the people were out of my range, but the ones that were in my range, you know, financially, they, they didn't do fantasy, but so I, I found one and one of them, who was not only right in the middle of my range, you know, right in the middle of my budget and had done fantasy before was Steve fortune. So I selected him and he came back with, um, with an audition the next day, right from the book. And I heard that and I'm like, this is the guy. And so I, I, my wife took, my wife listened to it and she's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. That's him. So that, you know, that's, that's, that's the, that's the guy you need. So, but I had already put out other auditions. So I told him, you know, we need to wait, but you know, as the days tick by, we're like sitting there going, you know, should we just, should we just, just say that you're the guy, you know, should we, but you know, you need to wait for the other auditions to come in. These guys are, are doing their auditions. You should at least get, you know, at least listen to them and hear them out. And a bunch of the auditions came in and none of them, just none of them had that feel for it. So uh, I selected Steve and I'll tell you something. He was, he, he makes, I'll say it now, I'll say it again. He makes it sound like I know what I'm doing. (laughs) 
You don't take any of the credit, huh? Yeah, no. He he just he 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 nailed Drom. Um, he nailed the narration. Um, everything else after that was just gravy. So, so how, how do you write? Do you use a typewriter? Do you write freehand? What? Yeah, I uh, I actually write. I I'll either write at my computer um, with Microsoft Word, and I and what I do is I do a. I do a, um, a document, a Word document per chapter initially. Um, and there's a reason for that, actually. It's so that I can share it with my tablet. And um, and uh, I'll often go and um, take my tablet and a Bluetooth keyboard. And I go to a cigar bar, which is mentioned in the dedication of the book. Uh, I go to a cigar bar and I will sit down with my tablet and my keyboard and I will pound out a chapter in a day. And so I sit down at the end of this, at this end of the cigar bar with my cigar and my Spanish brandy, and I just go to town and write. So, yeah, I uh, do. You think that the methodology by which one writes, uh, I know it, some people say it affects them. Do you think it changes your writing when you write, say, at home versus out and about? Um, that's hard to say because. I, I've, I've set up a ritual for me and I'm, I'm, I have, I have, I think Asperger's and it's one thing about people with Asperger's is once they have a ritual that you can't really break them of it, it's bad. So once I get into that ritual, it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to break out of it. Mm. So, so that's, that that's become my ritual and I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to break from it. Uh, but I can write just as well at home. Matter of fact, a lot of the writing that I have that's sitting out there waiting to be published was done, uh, you know, sitting at this desk, uh, just uh, pounding out chapters. So, matter of fact, uh, one book in a series that I've I'm currently developing, I I got that book. I think it's like 170,000 words. I got that book done in a month and a half wow. just sitting at my desk. Of course, the thing needs to be revised like right. 15 ways from Sunday. But but yeah, so I mean, that was done here. But I've gotten into that ritual where I go and I, I sit down and have my cigar and my brandy and just write. And that, that seems to work real well. Right. All right. What, uh, what do you have planned for the future? Because the thing about this book is – like you mentioned earlier, it sort of sets up the world. Like it, it really mm-hmm. feels like there is something by the end of the book, you really feel like there is something, uh, some impending doom that is coming. It's almost like the, uh, the prey feels like the prelude to something bigger. Like you're getting this snapshot of like, yes, here are the, the at least one character finding out that something is coming. And yes. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, the next, there's a story to, there's actually a story to The Revenant and the Tomb. When I wrote The Revenant and the Tomb, I had two other things going on. I was trying to pitch uh, the one book that I had originally written a long time ago. I cleaned that up, and I was trying to pitch that to agents and publishers. And uh, seeing that I needed, seeing that they required that you build like a, a fan base or what they call a social media platform, um, I had started to... Uh, trying it followers and one of the things that they tell you is you know you know give something away in exchange for like an email address and whatnot so i decided okay well you know i'll write a novella 
that I'll give away for free. And um, all they got to do is just subscribe to my website and uh, just, you know, and I'll, I'll give them a PDF of the book. And it kind of kind of gives them a sample of, you know, how I write in the world and all this other stuff. And when I wrote the book, when I wrote The Revenant and the Tomb, um, I had this concept in my head for a character that was kind of a monster hunter. Hmm. And I came up on the idea because he's actually the, the original character I wanted to do this with is in a series that I'm thinking about doing much later. So Hal Cedric's actually a prototype of that, of that individual. Um, so when I started to write this and say, okay, well, I'll use this guy as a prototype and I'm going to use him to investigate this one little sliver, this one little aspect of the, my world's history. And that is the great war that happened that, you know, mentioned in, in the, the ad. Um, so I started on that. And while I was, while I was writing that, I had already started another book, which is going to be my next book coming up, which I titled the, the wizard Odo. So I stopped writing the wizard Odo. I focused on the revenant and the tomb, um, finished it, created the PDF, was sending out uh, stuff on my social media, you know, building up followers and all that. And I said, hey, you know, give me your email address and uh, help me build a, a, an email list and I'll give you a free PDF in return. And that was a monumental failure. <laughs> I, it, I feel like these, these tried and true methods that worked yeah. like five years ago, they've just stopped cold. The way that social mm -hmm. media is, working today it's hard to get anything out past i mean 10 or 12 people that already regularly interact with you mm. and even like i know a lot of some people have success with the, the email list and stuff i never check my email ever yeah, yeah the only I, time I check my emails if i'm waiting for a very specific important email exactly and, and well there's also reluctance I, i'm discovering that there's a reluctance to going to somebody to some unknown author's website and handing over information, even even a little bit of information like your email, um, and or going to their website and clicking on a button. So, so I decided that the only way I'm actually going to build fans is to actually sell a book. Yeah, and I, and I think I think that's true. Not to to interrupt while you're on a roll, but yeah, no. I, I've. Very rarely has it been that somebody it's either word of mouth or like I tried something new and in terms of independent books, self-published books, like I tried something new because it was on Amazon. It was, it was cheap or it was on the, the mm -hmm. prime reading or, or something like that. And so it, uh, you know, sometimes people recommend me books that they've read, but basically this is the, uh, what I do only check email to delete them. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, Oh no, I've got 10,000 emails, you know, all you know, select all unread and delete them. Uh, so going forward in these, this books in the same world, are, mm -hmm. are they are going to expand the characters or is it yeah. going to be? Okay, uh, originally hell Cedric was going to be one and done. Um, and after the book came out, I started getting people asking, so when's the next Hell Cedric book coming out? At about six now. They're just approaching me out of the blue. And I'm like, uh, you know, uh, soon? You know, 
Uh, because one of the things I wanted to do, because I had stopped this one book called The Wizard Odo to write this Hal Cedric book, is I wanted to finish that was that, that book, The Wizard Odo, and put that one out. So that's going to be the next one that comes out, mm-hmm. which is probably yet another publishing mistake, because if you've started one and you say you're going to do another book for that character, they probably expect that book to come right. out next. But, you know, I'm I'm done with it. I want to put this book out. The story is very good, um, and it's once again kind of representative of the way I'm writing. It's very gritty, um, and it, it has several points that it tries to make. Um, but the so that that book is going to come out next, and I'm already in the process of writing the next Hell Cedric story, which I've tentatively called the Revenant and the Cult. So okay. I do mention the Cult in the Revenant and the Tomb. This is a this is a um, an extension off of that, and the the other thing is it also includes it's also going to include a prologue that you, you want to be um, you you want to look very carefully or you want to read that that prologue very carefully because that that is a tie in to other books that are coming down the pike okay. books I already have written there are different characters too. All right, so the, you, you said you have one done and ready coming out soon. Is that right? That yeah, I'm revising it right now. Mm-hmm. That's the Wizard Odo. Wizard Odo. Um, and then I, the Revenant and the Cult. Yeah, and that's so, going to be the next Hell Cedric book. That's probably a good idea, The, uh, the having the naming convention be yeah. the Revenant and the and the something. Been, yeah. People will uh, associate yeah, and, the book and, and be able to spot it if they see yeah. it. I've, I've got probably – six or seven chapters into that already. Okay. Um, it will include Herodine, who's the, the Alani, um, quote, elf. Yeah. Uh, the Alani maid, the huntress, um, the one with the bow. God help me, Shad hears that I wrote a character with a, a female character with a bow. Yeah. Um, so Dram's a, a, a not going to be in the next one, and Tulvgir's not going to be in the next one. Um but uh, it's going to have another character named Rose. I kind of define him as sort of Dram Light. He's he's got a different backstory, but he's also a, a wilderness guy, and um, he's sort of one of those rough around the edges types people, which you know are, are they're fun to write. Tulvgir uh, in the book, he will be on another adventure that I've I've actually come up with. It might be another novella like The Revenant and the Tomb. That is uh, another holy warrior going off, but uh, off into a different direction, taking on some other stuff. So, I I, I define him as my quote black Conan because he's a uh, uh, he's a dark skinned uh, he's a dark skinned warrior from a uh, from a, a culture that I have in my world. Okay, so are each of these books? for the most part, obviously they're going to tie in and there's going to be a long-term story. Mm-hmm. Each book, do you plan on having sort of a, uh, not necessarily just a quest, but some sort of, sort of self, uh, you know, the ending to the book is satisfactory in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, well, here's, here's my whole, my whole vision. This started out, the, the, I kind of got went started going down this road. I got into um, a song of ice and fire, okay. and I got into a bunch of song of ice and fire um, 
theory crafting groups, right. you know, because everybody's yeah. waiting for George R. R. Martin to come out with his next book. And so during that time, they sit there and talk about all the different elements of George R. R. Martin's books. And I'm like going, you know, I got a lot of stories I want to tell. What would be nice if, if I could create not only books that were entertaining, but left bits and pieces in there for a much grander story that would allow, you know, fans of the book to sort of kind of piece together in theory craft what's really going on. And so I kind of, I, I, I touch on subjects that will be discussed in a later book. Um, I bring in characters that are, I create stories around characters that just show up in one book, but then have their own stories to go with it. Um, I include elements that are part of a much grander, uh, grander theme or story. And I, so I kind of want to write books that even once you're done, uh, you, you still leaves you to thinking about things. So not only can you enjoy, you know, reading the book, but it's a piece of a much bigger puzzle. So that's, that's kind of cool. It's something I've thought a lot about is there are these series like a song of ice and fire where those books are, are enjoyable to read because George R. R. Martin is such a, a good writer, but mm-hmm. it's hard to say that you have any kind of idea of, where the story will go unless you mm-hmm. really spend a lot of time or you watch those videos or read those, go in those yeah. forums and, and find what other people have said. I've certainly have never really figured anything out, yeah. uh, but I do like the idea of these, of books and series tying into this larger narrative. It's something that Brandon Sanderson, uh, another fantasy author for those who don't know mm-hmm. has done a lot and as his books get further and further, then they tie in more and more. And I think that's that's kind of cool. But there's other people who they have this long tale that they're telling and they kind of just chop the book off at a certain point. And yeah. it doesn't really feel like, hey, wait, did they actually have a, a rising, you know, to a climax and then have mm-hmm. a climax in this book? And it, did it feel satisfactory? And I think that's, one of the things that's definitely needed uh, mm-hmm. for a book to be enjoyable, at least for me. Well, the one thing that uh, the one thing I think a lot of authors do is that they have a very intricate world and a deep history. And then they try to do it. They try to tell it all in a few books. And I find, or they tried to put it all in one book Um that has, you know, that, that details a lot of the history and backstory. I end up doing info dumping. Um, I figure if I have this expansive world, it's better to do it in smaller chunks and then just kind of reassemble the pieces later. At least the reader can reassemble the pieces later or get more involved in it. I want people more involved with the history of the world. Um, but at the same time, I want to make something that's entertaining for them to read. Right. So. I guess that's also one of the things with being self-published, trying to do it like that. There can be good success in that industry, but one of the things is somebody might not jump from one of your series or mm-hmm. uh, to another. There's an author, uh, Will White, who wrote uh, the Cradle series. I did a stream thing last week about how everybody should go out and buy it because I think it's absolutely 
fantastic. Mm -hmm. But he has uh, more series that are in that universe and they sort of tie in, Mm -hmm. but doesn't make them so tight uh, that you have to read this other series. Exactly. And I think, you know, you can, you can go out and you can read this. You can choose to, if you want to discover more of the world, but if there's some character you identify or some series that like, man, this, I like this one. And the other one I tried, it wasn't for me, but you don't have to read all of them to get this story. And that's part of the problem with, like uh, with how comic books have gone, uh, you know, you have all these crossovers, and sometimes I was oh, I, I was reading Nightfall, the, uh, the the classic Batman crossover events where Batman gets his back broken, and I bought this huge compendium mm-hmm. of all of the supposedly all of the comics that I needed to read for Nightfall, and like you know, Bane is starting to do all these bad things and Batman doesn't know that it's Bane yet, but he knows, oh, there's some new villain in Gotham. And then the next issue, Robin tells him, oh, by the way, when I was fighting Killer Croc the other day, I found mm-hmm. out this guy that is doing this is named Bane. And I was like, wait, wait a second, did this happen in the Robin book? And you didn't include it in your giant compendium? Like how yeah. about Batman does some investigation and, and finds out who, who Bane is? Uh, and it was like so disappointing that I set the book down and I have not finished it. And that uh, that's something I'm, if I was to do a universe like this with, with a grand story, I would try to keep that in mind that someone might not get that piece of, mm-hmm. of the, of the puzzle. And if they well, don't, they need to still see an image. Well, here's the thing the the storylines that I'm working on right now, number one, I have a, I have an extensive past mm-hmm. that, that exists within my world, but, all the stuff that I'm writing uh, about, I'm actually writing to a set of books that I already have like more than half developed. I, I've actually got the whole ending, but it has to do with a character named Frankie Falwell, and it has to do with a second great war that occurs in my in my uh, in my fantasy world. And I've already started those. I actually have two books, well, no, three books done, uh, a fourth book, half complete, and then I've got a book in the middle that I've got bits and dabs of. Um, but they, they're actually all writing towards that series. Okay. And then that series is kind of like the pinnacle of where I want to go, at least for now. And then later on, there are, there are other things that occur in the world that I will, you know, hopefully if I'm still alive, I'll be able to write about. So... So, so, I mean, I, so I'm going somewhere with this. It's not like I'm just throwing a bunch of stories at right. you. There's, 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 a, there's an end. There's kind of an end in sight for where I'm, what I'm doing. How much time have you spent doing build, world building for this, would you say? Well, um, well probably about 15 years at least. Uh, the the series I just mentioned to you, um, I wrote back late 2000. I tried to get that published, and that was a disaster again. Um, number one, it was it was god awful. Uh, the writing was terrible. Number two, it wasn't very imaginative, and um, it, it's it's just as well that it that it died on the vine. Um, and so I kind of got discouraged with that and I, I set it down and I, I just left it, you know, and I went on to do other things. So, I, you know, I got a career 
And, but later on, I started getting that urge again. And the funny part is, is that when I picked up writing again, I wrote the last book for that series um, that kind of like, that kind of finished this character's arc. And then I decided, well, after I was done with that, maybe I'll start back up on that series again. So I went back to the first book and I rewrote all of that. And I actually, the first book was, is now broken up into two different books because they're, it's, it was freaking huge. And so I, I, I cleaned that up. I told my wife, I'm going to try and sell this again. I had her beta read it and um, she turns around and goes, this is as good as anything I've ever read, anything I ever bought. You know, you should, you should sell this. I said, oh, that's kind of the intention. So, um, they, they tell you don't use your, you know, they tell you don't use your family for beta reading, but I can pretty much trust my wife because the first time when she read it, she just kind of gave me that smiley face, you know, back <laughs> early, late 2000, she gave me that smiley face and said, yeah, it's, 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 it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and so I handed it to another, another person who did a beta read on it and they were just like, oh my God, this is wonderful. So I knew I had something, but, um, uh, but I couldn't, it, it wouldn't sell. So I've shelved it, start working on some of these in towards that. Okay. Uh, now, you have written other books and had other books published in the past. Uh, most yes. prominently, you had uh, print programming in Windows. Yes, you found uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you're not exactly new to writing books, but that, no. uh, that one doesn't seem to probably have as much of a detailed narrative. No. As. as a matter of fact, that's the reason why I'm named Herman P. Hunter is um, I, I, before I started that book, I was actually writing articles and software and I, and I got, I had a few published um, and uh, you know, and for I'd say fairly prestigious magazines at the time, they're no longer around no more. Um, so I got approached by the one company that published one of my articles and said, we'd like you to write a book. So I said, okay. So I wrote this huge book, um, that was twice what they budgeted for, uh, twice the size of what they budgeted for. And, uh, it was too specific, I think, but they published it anyways. Um, I made a decent advance and, uh, I never saw a dime of royalties, <laughs> The funny part is, is that when I was looking at it, I was going in there and thinking about, hey, maybe I'll write another software book. And then I'm noticing that there's like two other authors named either Jeff Potts or Jay Potts. And I'm like going, oh, my God, I, I'm, I'm literally going to be lost. And then I kind of got tired of writing software. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of stale and boring, especially when you're trying to catch that. You know, you're trying to chase after that technology all the time. Right. You either all spend all you, you either spend all of your time writing the the books, or you spend time writing the software. And it's more lucrative to write the software than the right. books. But uh, so this time around, when I was going to publish something, I made sure I had a fairly unique name. So you picked uh, Herman P. Hunter as, yep. a, as opposed to to Jeff Potts. Yep. Well, that makes sense. Why you? Why you would want a name that would stand out a little bit more if there were other authors yes. already out there using that name. Yeah. I mean, it's out there. They, I actually found that there's another Herman Hunter. Oh. Like, God, God, 
but um but he so and but i had already added the p so that that sets me apart from him and he did i think self-help books so, okay so not not necessarily a lot of crossover between self-help no, and fantasy no, no that's that's good that is good although he is one book ahead of me by the way this is the kazoo i use on drawn and quartered fan edition I didn't know you use a kazoo on. Oh yes, and this is this this is the 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 end the kazoo that signals the end of the competition. Oh, there you go. So there you go, Chester, one doomed rabbit. There you go. This is it. The, the magical kazoo that that signifies the end of the most prestigious drawing program on all of YouTube. Probably the only. Well, I mean, that, <laughs> now it is. There, yeah. the other, the, the original. Drawn quartered, I think is no more. I certainly haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, Mike's Mike's chilling with friends. Drawn right. chill, drawn chill strip now. Yeah. So you have other books in mind. Do you have books in other universes, or are you going to stick with this one? Stick with this one. There's a there's a huge history. Um, the the whole purpose of creating the you know the God of the West and a lot of the stuff around it was to actually sort of illustrate uh, elements of my, you know, of my, the, the beliefs that I have in Christianity, mm -hmm. you know, things like faith and grace, hope, um, why evil exists in the world, things like that. There's a ton right. of stuff you could pull from that and weave it into your stories. And, and until I actually get tired of doing that, which I haven't yet, um, I'm just going to keep writing in the same world. And I got a huge, I got a huge, I got lots of, lots of different things I can talk about. So that's, that is interesting. I have all of these when I think about writing a book and I've, I've written one. Yeah. I've written a bunch of short stories, but uh, none of them have ever been published or anything, mm -hmm. but I wrote one novel a few years ago and I actually wrote all the way through and it is pitiful. It's terrible. Like a, uh, really bad but I, I i did re restart writing i'm writing the second draft so maybe eventually i will be a published author let's like that that one series that i wrote i mean that that i tried you know selling and no nobody would pick it up wisely so uh there was a kernel to that character and that story that all through those years i could let go and that's actually the reason why I, why I, like, brought it back up again, resurrected it again, uh, to rewrite it. It's because there's there's a so much stuff in there that I think is very powerful, um, and really it's about a guy trying to, a guy who isn't real, you know, real heavy on. You know, he's probably he's grown up Christian, but he, he, you know, he really doesn't have a strong faith, doesn't go to church. You know, he, it's just to him, it's, it's it's sort of in sort of background noise. And when he's thrust into these these situations and things he can't quite understand, he's having to grapple with very difficult subjects. And it, it it's these things like faith and grace and all that, they come up. And and fate, and prophecy, and all that other stuff. Uh, and I try and weave that in so it's like it's not beating you over the head with certain things, but it 
places a character in a position where he has to question stuff and has to really think about stuff. So that and that's that 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 story is very powerful, I think. Me personally, it's my favorite, and the character is my favorite too. But you know, I gotta get there first. So well, let's see, you bring up an interesting point, which is religion and uh, faith, this is something that impacts the majority of the world on a mm-hmm. daily basis. Uh, the majority of the world is religious and a member of a faith, a religious faith. And they are, you know, some of them are, are more devout than others. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them are really nice people and some of them are, are not so nice people. But in fiction, a lot of the time, I do not, in a fantasy fiction, there really isn't a focus on characters that are sincere, devout adherents of religion. And mm-hmm. when you do see it, at least when I see it, it's usually someone who is a bad guy or they're yeah. sort of antagonist. And going back in, you know, you'd think about something like you mentioned C.S. Lewis earlier mm-hmm. and, pretty much all the good quote unquote good characters in his books are people who have faith. Now, obviously the faith in Narnia is much different because Mm -hmm. they have Aslan and he does appear to them from time to time. So it's a little bit different, but that aspect is, is pretty interesting because it's not something you see all the time uh, portrayed positively. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's one of the things that I, I wanted to do. I, I, I'm not one for, I'm not a big one for shades of gray. I do use them. Um, I would prefer to take what would be a normally a good hearted or virtuous put person and put them in difficult situations where they either have to question their faith or their beliefs, or they have to live by them and deal with the outcome yeah, you know, it's so, and that's, and I'll tell you something, that's way more fun to do. Or even like in the case of Frankie, this one character, to not be real strong with any belief whatsoever, and to have to kind of grapple with that when you're forced into a situation where you're dealing with things that are really, you know, back in your world didn't exist, but now they're kind of commonplace. And you don't know whether you should believe this, whether you think you've gone insane, um, or, or you know, whether whether you're on the right track as far as your belief. It, it, that's more fun to do, I think. And it, it like I said, it leads people to believe, and or it leads people to think about these things. And even if you don't believe in, let's say, Christianity or a God, it's something that you can pick up, read, and kind of say, you know, that's inter- that's an interesting point or something it's something interesting to think about. I don't necessarily have to believe in God, but it is something to kind of, you know, just kind of right. think about and toy with in my my own little uh, belief or set of beliefs. Right. So as we uh, wrap up the the show today, what would you say to someone who's maybe on the fence, listening to this somewhere in the future, or uh, maybe even the past, uh, what would you say to them to get them to buy your book, The Revenant and the Tomb? What, how would you sell it to them? I'd say like begging and pleading. <laughs> uh, I, 
I don't know. Spot, uh, on the spot. Sell it. Yeah. Um, it's a really cool book. There you, you go. Like it. It's a really cool get, book. Get the, like uh, get the audio book. Trust me. You'll right. Yeah, I think uh, the audio book was, was really good. And for people who have uh, Kindle and they use Audible, uh, I think you buy, if you buy the Kindle version, you then uh, you can get the audio version uh, for the you know a, a reduced price. So if it's something that you want to maybe go between, like you know you're able to read it, but then you're in the car, those things sink. Uh, you do have one sale at least that happened here during the show. I think uh, Andrew says he says I have already purchased it. No need to sell it to me. Cross Comics. Rick Piper also says he has the audio book. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Rick's got it. Yeah. So. Also, uh, want to show something too. This is this is Hal Cedric's sword as as drawn by uh, Gary Shipman. Right, Gary Shipman, guys. Gary lost his channel recently. Yep. Uh, it was hacked and deleted, and he's had trouble getting it back. So he started a new one. And uh, let me bring that up uh, here. And I will post the link to that, guys. Why don't if you justice for that, Gary. Yeah, if you've not already done so, I recommend you you follow Gary. He's a really decent guy, a really, really kind man, and uh, always willing to help people. And so he needs our help to get his channel back up and uh, rolling because, uh, you know, it may not bring in a ton of money, but it does bring in some uh, when your YouTube channel is monetized. Um, is there a way to get the bookmark uh, Cross Comics wants to know? Not yet. I'm yeah. working on that. Working um, on it. Yeah, I, I'm looking. I can't do it now. I'll probably do it over the summer. I'm thinking about um, setting up like a store somewhere okay. and um, selling either uh, a, 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 like a little sticker with my signature on it. You can put on the book and I'll most likely to distribute the, the bookmarks with that or okay. um, actually the, the signed book. And I'd sell it for a little bit more than what you can get it on Amazon. You'd have to buy it directly from my, my website or my store. So I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, I'm in the middle of, I'm going to get the next book done. The right. most important thing is the yeah. product. Yeah. The, the yeah, actual product. substance. And I got people going when's the next one coming out already. So I'm, I'm typing, I'm typing. So I'm trying to type. I think the fingers are bleeding. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I've been working, I've done a lot of work for other people recently. And then yeah. on my YouTube channel, uh, one of them upon the chaos got monetized just a, a f almost a month ago now. So I've been doing, you know, putting more focus into something that pays. And I, ha I had just started writing that second draft of that book. And I, I was super into it and I was having such so much fun. And then I had to do uh, paying work, which is always uh, a problem when you're trying to, uh, to do something creative, someone comes along and just ruins it with their paying gig, and I just want to make my art. So uh, yeah, I'd like to. I'd also like to thank a lot of people uh, who have been helping me along the way. Of course, all the fans that purchased the book, um, and especially the ones that wrote very nice reviews and told me how great I am. Uh, but also <laughs> guys like Mike Miller, uh, Brian, um, Brian Shearer, Zach, Zach Bradley. Doug Tenaple, believe it or not, um, he, he actually, I watched a few of Doug Tenaple's interviews. And when I was, 
I was feeling like, uh, you know, I was enough. This is never going to happen. You know, some of the interviews that I heard from him and some of the things that he talked about kept me going. Uh, of course, you know, my wife and a lot of the the artists and creators that have, you know, allowed me to put uh, um, my stuff on their discords and put their links in there. Of course, Gary, too. Uh, Gary has been very good about helping me, you know, put my links and stuff in there. And uh, all the people within that sort of group and even a little bit outside of the group that have helped me push my book. You know, Rick Piper is another one. I think one of the things that I think the internet used to be better at is uh, sharing people's content, getting other people's mm -hmm. stuff to uh, people that want to see it. And the, the only thing we can do is uh, try to tell people. We know people in our daily lives. We know people online that might like something that we've read, that we've mm -hmm. uh, watched. And just sharing it, saying, hey, man, check this out. I think you'll like it. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, that's, well, that, that's an interesting point because I, I've seen two different, one article and one interview, a guy named Donald Moss, who's big in the, the traditional publishing sphere. And he said that, uh, um, he said that they, they figured it was something like two thirds of the books that they sold were all done by word of mouth. Uh, and another article said it was like 90%. Uh, I kind of doubt the other one, but the, the one guy, the Donald Moss, he, he was very specific, it was about two thirds, huge amount, strictly by word of mouth. So, so letting people know um, what, what you think is a great book, that actually sells books. Right, I, I know that in my life, uh, my brother reads a lot and my wife read a lot. And so uh, she reads a lot as well. And so they recommend a book to me. They'll say, hey, check this out. I really liked this. And mm -hmm. even sometimes when I'm like, ah, I didn't care for it. Like, hey, just stick with it. Get through, like I don't know why you can connect right away, but you will. And uh, they they a lot of times uh, convince me to to read something. I'm like I'm not so sure, and I yeah. inevitably love it because uh, they know me and they know what I will like. Yeah, and the other thing is you know support indie creators. Uh, I've been trying my best to support indie creators whenever I can. Uh, re, you know retweeting their their posts and all that or retweeting their tweets and all that other stuff of their you know their content stuff and of course on dnqfe we are now taking in we're now uh, highlighting indie creators for the competition so you know we're kind of doing that part to try and bring new people in and promote their stuff and help them and help them grow right. and i think we all need to do that if we ever want to get content that we want to read because the big industry, the, we're not going to get it from them. Guys. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind is that those industries, the, uh, the corporations, they have no incentive to take out the, the objectionable material that you might find objectionable. They have no incentive to do it. They don't yeah. care because the vast majority of people are still going to watch the thing. They're still going to buy the book. They're still going to read the comic. And as mm -hmm. long as they are making money, at least, to a degree that they think is is satisfactory, they yep. will never change it. And so the only way you can is by uh, is by actually looking for and finding alternatives and yep. supporting good alternatives. Don't yep. just do something because it's it's conservative or just because it's Christian. Um, actually, support quality. Support mm -hmm. quality because that is 
that's what we want to do. We want to we want to support things that are good and not just because the people align with even even or, even so. Even if the quality is not good right up front, um, if there's something there's a kernel there that is entertaining, you know, the more the more you do this. This is one of the things that kind of tell people one advice about writing is you can sit there and write and write and write and write and write. But until you actually publish, until that rubber hits the road, you're never going to know where you sit. And so it's, 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 a, it's a huge amount of anxiety, but at least you'll know where you stand and you know you can improve or what you need to improve in order to, um, in order to get somewhere with what you want to, with what you want to push. So that's that's another thing, you know. Get get your stuff out there. Don't be afraid of um, of falling on your face. Hell, I've been doing it for forty years. So and uh, you know, keep at it, and uh, you know, let people know that you're out there. Yeah, and uh, putting yourself out there, actually getting a product and making it. Those are those are things that have to be done if you want to sell yes. anything, you want to do anything. You have to and, go. And, and, but and also be bold. Yeah, be bold. You know, don't a lot of a lot of creators, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to they they're they kind of shy away from the publicity and the marketing of it all. But you you got to do it and you got to be bold and you got to let people know that you're out there and this is your stuff and this is your story. I mean, the funny part is, is I, I tell people when people pick up your book, they're not just reading the story. They're reading a little bit about you, too. Right. And so even if you even if you're not. Anywhere, even if you're not putting pieces of yourself in the story, the pictures you use, the ideas that you come up with, the words you use and how you use them, that's you. And so they're, they're as much reading about you as they are your, your story. Yeah, I think people need to uh, believe in themselves a little bit if they want to do artwork uh, of any kind, but do any mm -hmm. kind of art for them. All right, so we have had, I think, a decent show, guys. Make sure that you go and you buy the book. It's not that expensive. Yeah, and normally. There you go. There you go, ebook. Five nine. Typically, it's supposed to be five ninety nine uh, in certain spots, but uh, Audible kind of charges more. There you go. Uh, but yeah, if you guys will go check that out, the link is in the description of this video as well as pinned to the top of the comments. And I thank you, everybody, for watching. Make sure that you go and subscribe to Gary Chitman's channel. Uh, now, Mr. – yeah, buy the book. Uh, Mr. Herman P. Hunter has a YouTube channel. If you search Herman P. Hunter on the interwebs it's, uh, on it's, YouTube, you will find it. And, yeah, Herman uh, P. Hunter's Lore Forge. I think go. that's going to be the name of the name of my – when I eventually do set up and incorporate, I think it's going to be called HPH Lore Forge. So. There you go. Nobody do it yet. Nobody, nobody take that. The, Don't take the, that. How dare you steal from Mr. Herman P. Hunter. Now I will put the link to, uh, to Jeff's or Herman's uh, YouTube channel here. So well, it's, it's, it's spelled Herman, but it's pronounced Jeff. Yeah, there you go. It's pretty, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's foreign name. All right, guys, I'm going to show that awesome video. I made the commercial I made for the video one more time. And uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. Don't forget to share this out. Uh, it's the best way to get Jeff's book out to other people and to get my channel out to other people. So if that, if Jeff telling you to buy the book has not convinced you, hopefully uh, this will. What do you know of the Great War? 
Meaning the one with them prophets and all? No. The one before. This place sets a warning to my heart. As if the ghosts of the damned live within the very rock itself. That right. does he sound good. Right, and uh, I fortunately had wonderful things to work with uh, in terms of the audio book. There's a little bit of, of the snippet of the audio narrator there, Steve Fortune, for you. And uh, some some of the moments that stood out to me, I specifically went back and looked for those lines uh, because yeah. it was part of the language and and uh, the, the mystique of the book that I enjoyed. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Adios. Thank you, everybody, so much for watching, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Mm -hmm.